Hello and welcome to Through the Telescope, the podcast that puts the lens on astronomy. I'm Rose Waugh and I'm an astrophysicist and science communicator. And I'm Elliot Bruce and I'm neither of those things, but I'll be trying to find out why we should even care about astronomy. We'll be exploring some of the big topics in the field in little manageable pieces and have some fun along the way. So, whether you know your red lines from your red shifts, or you're not quite sure what the difference between astronomy and astrology actually is, Join us as we launch ourselves into the cosmos and try not to burn up on re-entry. Through the Telescope is sponsored by PicAstro, the astronomy and astrophotography image sharing app, dedicated to your images of the cosmos no matter what stage you are on your journey around the universe. No ads, spam, or fake accounts. So, Ro, before we start with today's episode on the Earth, we should mention we've got some new branding. Yes, we have. Thanks to Tom for our epic new thumbnail so as well as being um sponsored by picastro app tom from picastro app um actually sorted out our (laughs) graphical he took pity or embarrassment (laughs) at us and uh gave us a really badass new thumbnail yeah for Um, our podcast it feels, like, so cool. It makes me feel like I'm a cool person. Yeah. Uh, also, <laughs> as somebody that listens to podcasts, um, I'm sorry to anybody who is mildly irritated by the change in branding, but also not sorry because <laughs> the other one looks <laughs> way worse. Yes. Um, I love the sci-fi feel of yeah. it. Like, I... It's a piece of art. I'm really, yeah, really impressed by it. So thank you, Tom. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Making us seem like cooler people than we really are in real life. Definitely. Definitely. So with that, Ro, the Earth. We live on it. We do. We're quite familiar with it. Yeah. Sometimes not as familiar as we maybe should be mm-hmm. in the modern world. But... So it's one Earth mass. Yes, it is. The and radius. its radius is one Earth radius. <laughs> yeah, which is actually half the radius, uh, the diameter of the Earth, too. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. That's a yeah. good fact. Yeah. Yeah. A little factoid. What I do find crazy is that it's not spherical. Um, yes. Not perfectly spherical. It's not. But that's not specifically Earth-rated. Um, no, it's something that a lot of planets and stars experience. Their rotation means that they bulge at the midriff, as many mm-hmm. of us do. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and because the Earth has a lot of water on its surface, it can be, you know, more noticeable as well. Mm. Sloshing about. Um, so it's not perfectly spherical, mm. yeah, which is a bit weird i guess we are used to it being depicted as yes. a sphere and so we then kind of absorb that but um, technically not quite technically spherical not. 
So we are, well, we're not so much average as we're sort of Goldilocks, right? Well, literally in the Goldilocks zone, which I guess we'll maybe talk about later. But we're sort of, what are we? We're the fourth smallest and the fifth largest. <laughs> um, and uh, we're quite close, but not too close. <laughs> yes. So in our solar system, um, as our listeners have probably noticed, as you have probably noticed, the rocky planets are all, you know, at the centre of the solar system. Mm. Or, you know, relatively speaking, close to the sun. And further out are all the gas giants. Um, You know, that's worked out quite well for us on Earth. Mm -hmm. Because it means we're, like you say, we're in the Goldilocks zone, um, which is a term that, is thrown around a lot, and I have been, you know, guilty of using it myself. Mm. But probably isn't actually that helpful because it's very Western-centric. You have to know the story of well, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It's not even Western-centric, to... it's kind of Anglo-centric, because I assume that Goldilocks and the Three Bears, like all good fairy tales, was German. And if not German, then Danish. Is it um, not German? No, it's British. Oh, it's I also assumed it was German because it's a fairy tale. Citation needed, but yeah, um, I think... And it had sure bears in a, it, so I yeah. kind of thought, oh, it's going to be like a Grimm's fairy tale where actually the bears eat Goldilocks or something. But, yeah, maybe that's the reason uh, why it isn't um, a Grimm fairy tale. But, um, but yeah, so I first found this out from a Bulgarian postdoc in our group yeah we were trying to say something was just right in their paper and we said oh it's like goldilocks and she's like sorry what's goldilocks and that like, you know but yeah. no but no, <laughs> um, know. no yeah so uh for anybody not knowledgeable about goldilocks three bears um, Which is probably quite a significant amount of our listeners actually yeah um there's like a little girl that has um, blonde hair that sort of breaks an entry into the house of three bears who aren't in at the time, who all have like three different sets of things, so like porridge and beds and chairs, and one of them is too like small, one's too big, and then one of them is just right, and so we are for Goldilocks. For Goldilocks, yes. Yeah. The, they're all right for the, for each bear that yeah, likes so, it that way. So the big bear likes the big chair and big bed and whatever. Yeah. And uh, the small one likes the the small items. Yeah. Etc. But yes. Um, and for then, Goldilocks, only the middle ones are just right. Oh, whichever one. Yeah. Right and then, is, then the bears come back and tear her apart. Um, so, yeah, so that it doesn't happen, even though we both assumed yeah. <laughs> that that was what happened in the original. Uh, interesting rendition of yeah. Goldilocks and the Three Bears. But yeah, the point is that it's often used as a term to say something is just, just right. right. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and Earth happens to be at a distance from the sun that is considered just right. Um, specifically for liquid water to exist. Yeah, and so then that's always talked about because it's seen to be important for life. Um, out of eight planets in our solar system and more that we know of outside of our solar system, we're the only one that we know of 
with life. We've got close to 9 million species. Um, it is. We've only seen just over 1 million. We just assumed the rest. This <laughs> um, is plants and animals, presumably. Plants and animals. I guess maybe possibly also bacteria oh, and okay. right. archaea. I'm not entirely sure. Maybe fungi. I got it know. from National Geographic, so I don't know. But, you know, given that there are, what, is it 8 billion humans now? And mm. there are more bacterial cells in your body than there are human cells. Yeah, I and mean, that one's not that weird. No, but it's just, you know, it's not just that Earth has life, it's got life coming out of the yeah. ears. Yeah, so. it's riddled. Riddled, infested. <laughs> um, yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, people always like to say, why do we have life? Why doesn't it exist everywhere? And as Jeff Goldblum says, life finds a way. So... Why do we have life on Earth? That question is is asked quite often, you know, why do we have life on Earth? And I don't I'm not I don't know, maybe maybe I'm just being grammatically uh sensitive, I don't know, but I find I always think, surely what you're actually asking is how do we have life? Fair. Because yeah. I don't know why we have life. No one will ever know <laughs> why life exists. Yeah, because you could also say, why does the universe exist? Yes. Um, and you're like, oh, it does. People have their own <laughs> reasons for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can speculate. Um, um, but it is it is often asked, you know, in the form, why do we have life? Rather than, how do we have life? Um, well, I guess the first question in response to that is you know well did it develop here or did it come here panspermia somewhere else um but as you like to point out regularly and i i do uh, feel the same way <laughs> it feels like kicking the can down the road where did that life come from <laughs> if it did come from somewhere else where did that come from uh how did that develop? There is a lot that we just probably do not know about life and how mm. it came about um, into existence. Everything that we do know is very Earth-centric. Yes. Because we, you know, like you said, there's a huge number of species of life on Earth. And there are loads of different environments mm. in which life has found a way of surviving and thriving. Um, yeah, there are some bacteria. But they're all Earth-centric. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there are lots of speculations of, you know, what I have heard called, and I quite like it, weird life. Okay. Where, you know... Um, all of the life as we know is carbon-based. Mm. But there's been lots of, you know, um, speculation, ideas. I don't know how you'd want to word it, but that there could be, like, silicon-based life mm. or something that could replace carbon to fill a similar role yeah. in in the life form, um, but isn't carbon. 
And the idea with silicon is that if you look at the periodic table, silicon is directly below carbon. So it likes to form four bonds to things in the same kind of geometry-ish. So in that way, it's kind of attractive as like a potential stand-in for carbon. But as my old inorganic lecturer would say, carbon and its adjacents, like oxygen and nitrogen, are the bad boys on the block, and they don't behave like the other ones. But, like you say, when you're out there in the crazy space-times, you've got to think about weird things that could go on. Yeah, different environments, and a lot of chemistry as we know it is also Earth-centric. Mm. A lot of the chemistry that we, you know, that most chemists, including probably said lecturer yeah. um, are very knowledgeable and expert in is very earth-centric chemistry and it might not be that way on other planets and so maybe there is weird life out there that is silicon-based or something else um, or maybe you know uses methane rather than water mm. or whatever yeah um, and we really know next to nothing about yeah. that. Yeah. Um, Which is why... Because we have no information to go on. <laughs> that's part of the reason why we like... I think we talked in the previous episode why we like to go out and look for different types of life. So when we talked about Venus, just because having any more information about other environments where life has developed can give us an idea of what you need and what is sort of optional. As it yeah. Were. Because, yeah, right now what we do know about life, which is, you know, in some ways quite a lot, mm. <laughs> it's all from what we know here on Earth. And that's developed over such a long time and it's now so diverse and the environments of the past would have been very different and also very similar, presumably, at different points. Yeah. And it's just complex, to say the least. Very very complex. But, you know, we can work on the principles that what we know about life here on Earth can tell us about what life might need. You know, we can't constrain it to that alone because mm. there might be weird life. Um, but we can say a reasonable amount about what we know from, you know, not weird life yeah <laughs> if you know what i mean like it, more it's not, typical life yeah it's not a technical term in any in any way and i wouldn't like it to be one because mm. it's you know it's it feels weird to be like where normal anything else is not normal yeah. that's like i don't know i, I don't also, i don't really like that mentality but it's weird on a on a different level because at the same time like other things are weird like bacteria that can eat plastic yes for instance. <laughs> or just giraffes like have yeah. you seen their necks like that's pretty weird pretty like, weird really weird actually but um. or carpies that can lick out their own ears with their tongue so go figure life goals <laughs> <laughs> I know right <laughs> but um yeah, so what, so what we know from Earth, you know, things that, variables that we know about that um, could be important mm. for life's development, 
would be a planet that supports liquid water. Okay. We know on for our life forms on Earth, liquid water is incredibly important. Mm. So, you know, as we said, that that could be described as a planet being in the habitable zone or the Goldilocks zone, which basically means that it's far enough away and and close enough at the same time to mm. the star that it is at the right temperature and pressure for water to exist in a liquid form. So there's a range of orbits where that can happen. And that depends on the type of star that you have as to how, you know, hot it is, basically. Right, yeah. Yeah, so if it's... Is that that if there's... If it's more active, is that a bad word? If it's more luminous, is it hotter? Mm-hmm. Then hotter. you need to be further away. If it's a colder star, you need to be closer. Yes. But I guess you don't... You also don't want it to just, like, obliterate your atmosphere. Yes. For instance. So, you know, when you get closer to a star, you gain other issues. <laughs> that, um, okay, maybe now you can support liquid water, great job. But also, some of the stellar activity that we talked about in the, the one of the sun episodes. Mm. If you've got, you know, lots of flares going off. Yeah. If you've got um, prominences being ejected. If you've mm. got lots of... Um, eruptions, you know, from the surface of the star that is more likely to cause you an issue if you are closer to the star. Mm. You're more likely to have impacts with that material and those particles. Yeah. Um, And I guess also when you get it as well, it's not sort of, we talked before, a bit like when you blow into a balloon and it expands mm-hmm. with like the um, the light coming from a star, it gets weaker per area as you get Yeah, it gets out. more diluted. In the same way, like if you're right up close and something does hit you, it's going to be worse than the same thing hitting you however far away because yes. it should hopefully have spread itself out a bit. Yeah, it's not, it's not being diluted if you are closer. Yeah. Um, and I guess you don't want your planet just being sterilised by X-rays or something every yeah every half often. Not going to be great for for life Probably typically. Not. And then the atmosphere of the planet is also important. Mm. If you have a really thick atmosphere and it's got a lot of carbon dioxide and stuff, then that will influence where you need to be to maintain the the right temperature. Right. Yeah. Um, because that then starts to uh, when you think about the sort of the heat of the star you're talking about energy in but the atmosphere kind of helps like mediate the the heat in but also the heat out so you kind of so if you have an atmosphere that is really thick and kind of like a greenhouse, mm. it, it collects all of the heat in and it doesn't let it out very quickly. So you don't then want to be too close to the star mm. because... You just trap everything. Whilst a planet with a, a thinner atmosphere might find that the right place for liquid water, mm. it might, for you, then be too hot and you and would lose your liquid water. Water vapour or... Water, so. As we mentioned, the term Goldilocks zone has issues in that it's maybe not the most obvious to a lot of people what it means. Mm. The term habitable zone, which is an, another another name 
So the Goldilocks zone also has problems because it kind of implies a planet there would be habitable, but that's not the only thing that you need for habitability. Right, yeah. So, also, is that then like habitable for humans? Because I feel like when we talk about habitability, we talk about we could go and live there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so again, another reason why the term is not really very helpful is that different people bring different things to the world, R- word yeah. habitable. What about happy medium zone? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. Liquid water zone. <laughs> Liquid water zone. I don't know. I'm sure the exoplanet community will say there is a different name for this that makes more sense. Yeah. But I am yet to hear it. So. Let us know. Or if you've got any suggestions, then write in. Tell us. <laughs> and we have no power to change it in the scientific no. community, but no. I could suppose I could use that in future papers, I guess. Trend. Interestingly, slight tangent from this, that's not the only way that you could have liquid water. Um, it's kind of always quoted as the way to have liquid yes, water. The easy, conventional In way. your system. Mm. But you could have, you know, a different situation in which your planet, or maybe moon, mm. um, is heated and that allows you to maintain liquid water. For example, Jupiter's moon Io. Mm-hmm is pretty close to Jupiter. And because of this and how huge Jupiter is and the gravitational effects, it experiences a... Io experiences a tidal force. Io's the volcanic one. Yes, the volcanic one. Highly volcanic. This basically means that as it's, you know, going around one bit of the moon, Mm. it experiences more gravitational pull than a different bit of the moon. Yeah, the bit closer to the... Jupiter is yeah. pulled in more than the bit further out. Yeah. Facing away from Jupiter. And this causes a squeezing mm. of the moon. It's like a stretching and squeezing, yes. if you know what I mean. And that is like an, an energy transfer. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's mm-hmm. it's adding energy to the moon. Yeah. And it's heating it. Yeah. And this has allowed Io to maintain a liquid core of volcanism and that's allowed it to remain um volcanic even though you know it it otherwise wouldn't have because it's probably not big enough to yeah to have done that and that's also is it europa that they talk about as having potentially liquid water underneath the surface so earth has liquid water (laughs) that's good we've got an atmosphere yeah that's good. Yeah. I'm glad we've got an atmosphere. Not only do we have an atmosphere, but we have a breathable atmosphere. Okay. Well, what does so, what does breathable mean? That's a great question. Thank you. I feel like I'm talking to the kid. <laughs> <laughs> you do kind of act the same way, do so Well, you both ask good questions. What it means really depends on the life form that you care about. Okay. So, for Earth, that means that it's, you know, relatively speaking, it's CO2 and oxygen rich. Right, because, like, plants like CO2, we like oxygen. Yeah. And there's also, I can't even remember what they're called, but ages ago there was the the spongy things, some of the first things on the beach. Is it, oh, I can't remember what they're called, stromatopods or something. 
Yeah, I think it was carbon dioxide for them too, wasn't it? Yeah, and then they They made made so much oxygen that they basically killed themselves. Yeah. Basically, well, (laughs) they're going, but the other way around. (laughs) They're going to make a comeback. Um, (laughs) Yeah, which I found crazy. Like, I only learned about that relatively recently, and just the idea that the atmosphere of the Earth wasn't always the same as it is now. Um, You know? Yeah. Um, and at different points, the like the dragonflies that are like the size of the huge like, ones. yeah, like meters, mm-hmm. like a couple of meters big, like crazy. I think we just again, it's like many we've said this with lots of stuff in the podcast. We just get really used to our really specific little life. Yes, and that's something that astronomy is really fantastic for is just like blowing your mind wide open (laughs) quite a lot and being like look that's just like a drop in the ocean there are so many possibilities it has not always been like that it will not always be like Mm. that you know yeah yeah, I think the thing for me that's crazy about the the change in the atmosphere and the, the dragonflies and the massive insects is you know when you first think of it you think of just like the like the composition has changed yeah. you know but actually it's just stuff like well that changes the density of the air mm. that's what starts to blow my mind right yeah so then you require different things to fly yeah because yeah yeah because i think is it was that when it was oxygen rich so the thing i heard was that um the way that they breathe is it sort of goes over their skin is that right? Interesting. I could have made that up. Citation needed. But so then when there was more oxygen, it like you could support a larger thing because sort of, I guess, surface area, volume, right. ratio, more oxygen, easier to breathe. And then when the oxygen level decreased, you couldn't support that size anymore. So they shrank. Wow. Life will find a way. Life will find a way. But pretty yeah. scary. I'm glad that we don't have them <laughs> flying around now. Um, yeah, I uh, I quite like insects, but I think my sister would absolutely freak her pants. <laughs> yeah, definitely. definitely. Uh, so yeah, atmosphere is important, and I think as we've mentioned before, it also protects us and life mm. on Earth from um, the sun and some of the radiation and also the cosmic radiation from, you know, other bits of the universe as well. Mm. Um, And we can assume that that is also important for life Mm. elsewhere too, you know. Um, High energy radiation coming at life of any form is probably not great. Yeah. So tides as well, the tides of the ocean. Okay. Thought to be important for helping life to have developed on earth mm-hmm. it's a really good mixing pot a way of right, mixing yeah. lots of um chemicals together yeah yeah so you don't just end up with like a really dense bit of um one sort of chemical in one area and it never mixes with other things yeah there's been some work done by someone in oxford I'm sure there's lots of work done by people in Oxford, but... There are lots of people in Oxford. (laughs) That suggests that eclipses could be 
um, an important indicator of which planets could have life. Okay. You know, looking out at exoplanets in the universe. Because it means that the moon is a certain size relative to the planet. Right, okay. So it's sort of like, it's either really big and further away, or it's quite small, but like close enough to the planet that you'd expect it to have a big sort of effect on tides. Is that yeah. kind of the idea? Yeah. Okay. Um, which I just thought was a, a neat mm. idea. I think it's also yeah. crazy, like, well, I find it weird that we can actually see planet, especially the ones where we can actually just look at it with a camera. Um, yeah. But I find it weird that we can detect exoplanets in the first place. And I am vaguely aware that there are exomoons mm-hmm. that we've seen, but the idea that you could even think about seeing if if we could have an eclipsing moon. You know, we're now talking about three celestial bodies in a different part of space which are all progressively smaller (laughs) um, and how they go around each other. Yeah. So... Pretty crazy. You know, this work and this idea is more theoretical, Mm. um, suggesting that, you know, you could use that as an indicator of whether or not life might be on the planet obviously as we've said before for something to be habitable there's a whole range of conditions like a crazy number of conditions that you need to meet so Mm -hmm. it's not like a guarantee or anything yeah but it is really fascinating and it doesn't feel which is wild like you say it doesn't feel like it's really going to be that long Mm. before we might be able to actually see these things mm-hmm. and be like we've seen a system where we have seen the planet and we've seen the moon and relatively speaking an eclipse a, a total eclipse could happen there because mm. we know their relative sizes and we know their distance from the star like we we're actually around. getting to the point where we could start to collect data on that you know, and that's, it's amazing how far we've come in terms mm. of exoplanets and observing them yeah. in a relatively short time period, really. But yeah, pretty cool. Um, but going back to Earth and how, how or why yes. <laughs> we have life, um, you know, there's so many conditions, but we've, we have talked about a few, so I'll only add one more. Mm. And obviously I'm ending with this because I'm a sucker for a magnetic field. But the magnetic field of the Earth is incredibly important You always us. manage to bring it back to magnetic fields. If it's not angular momentum, the answer is magnets. That's... Yeah. yeah. I'll let you in on a secret. I actually am a bit scared of angular momentum. Oh, I hate angular momentum. I still don't feel like I... Momentum, fine. Fully grasp the concept. It's too much verging on forces for me. Yeah, I don't mind forces. Forces are fine. It's just, for me, rotation, I think when we started to learn about rotational mechanics, it was, oh, this is a bit different. Oh, no, it's fine, I get it. 
And then it just keeps on throwing up weird things and it always, the thing is always angle momentum. Yeah. But. Uh, yeah. Anyone at home that likes angle momentum, good for you. Um. Yeah, we're not going to get many responses to that one, I can tell you right now. Oh, my guess. <laughs> Okay. Magnetic fields, on the other hand, are beautiful. Okay. Um, Which also not many people say. Is that true? <laughs> um, yeah, it is. It is the way to be cruel to a lot of people at a conference after their talk is to say, "Have you thought about magnetic fields?" <laughs> yeah. Um, but Earth's magnetic field is important. It helps us maintain our atmosphere. Good, we need so them. magnetic fields um, confine the movement of charged particles. Our atmosphere has you know, quite a lot of charged particles. Yeah, anything in the atmosphere starts to go a bit weird in terms of chemistry. So yeah. there's charged things, there's radicals, there's all sorts going on up there. Yeah, yeah. different environment. We like to think the atmosphere is oxygen, nitrogen, or rather nitrogen, oxygen, bit of argon and carbon dioxide but actually it's all weird at different points yeah and thanks to our magnetic field we get to keep hold of it um and also the magnetic field helps protect us from the solar radiation that we talked about Mm, yeah and in the meantime creates beautiful aurora for us as well and so i guess we then need like a molten metallic core which then generates a magnetic field yeah because the interior of our planet is still liquid in various forms mm. um the the particles within it including you know iron and other metals mm. um move about and moving charges moving make, charges make magnetic, magnetic fields field. and so. magnetic fields change the movement of charged particles yes um <laughs> yeah yes electromagnetism yeah. It's kind of neat, and then you look at the equations, and then you're like, oh, maybe not. It's still neat. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah, so because we have that, that liquid, used loosely as a term, liquid centre. Fluid. We have our magnetic field still, and if you look at other planets that haven't quite been big enough for the gravitational... Um, effects of that planet to mm. keep its core liquid, to keep it under such pressures that it stays liquid and it instead solidifies, like Mars, for example. The planet that might have had a magnetic field then loses it because as soon as your core solidifies, mm. um, you no longer have the moving charges, so you no longer have a magnetic field, so you no longer have an atmosphere, and it all goes to pot quite quickly. Yeah. yeah. But the more important thing about magnetic fields is it makes pretty lights in the sky. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, there's that too. Like, what's the point in life if you can't go, ooh? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. incredible things, the aurora. Yeah. Yeah. The aurora... Borealis mm-hmm. and Australis. Indeed. Yeah. The the charged particles from our sun mm. are channeled along our magnetic field lines, mm-hmm. the magnetic field of the Earth. And they're, because they're charged, so they have to travel along yeah. the magnetic field. It's sort of 
well, it's not spiral, it helixes round, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> they have to travel along magnetic field lines. So probably everyone listening to this uh, in high school science class or something was shown a bar magnet and then there were, you know, iron filings on the table. Yeah. Then you got that kind of pretty picture, if yeah. I don't know, yeah. of, of the iron filings lining up to make these loops around your bar magnet. Yeah. If not, you can literally go onto Google and type in <laughs> bar magnet <laughs> iron filings and it will come up. Um, and basically, you know, we can describe that as saying that iron filings are, lining, uh, are tracing out the field lines mm. of the bar magnet. And you would get a similar kind of thing for Earth of the kind of two lobes yeah, and two poles where the magnetic field lines are just kind of going straight up. Yeah, which happen to align closely-ish with the rotational poles. Yes, closely-ish. Closely-ish. Yes. Uh, so that's how the planet has uh, technically two North Poles because it has the North Pole, which is rotational, and it has the magnetic North, North Pole. pole. <laughs> which your compass points to. Yes. Unless maybe you use your phone one, which might just work out from a map, yes. maybe. I don't know. How oh, I've never work? thought about that. That's really interesting. Yeah. Although it doesn't really matter that much, because once you get close to the North or South Pole, your, your magnetic compass yes, starts yes. to not really work anymore. Yeah. So. Oh, that's interesting though. I've never thought about the film. Um, so the the charged particles from the sun are then being channeled along these field lines to the poles. Mm. Um, and when it gets there, it interacts with that atmosphere. Yes. And then chemical reactions happen. Exactly. And our sun is constantly throwing out material. We're pretty mm. used to that. But sometimes there are solar storms, um, are things like coronal mass ejections, prominence eruptions, flares, you know, general activity, especially CMEs, and it chucks out lots of material. Mm -hmm. And because there's a lot, yeah. it becomes very noticeable <laughs> that there's a lot of material interacting with that atmosphere. Mm. And this is what makes the northern and southern lights. Mm. So you typically see quite a few colours. Yeah, you get sort of like greens and your blues and your pinks, right? Yeah. Pink, red. Pinky reds, yeah. Probably what you would see is going to be not as good as what you would see with a camera. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, a camera is a lot better at picking up um, all of the photons and and the light show than your eyes are. Yeah. So what you see isn't quite what you're sold on the internet, but um, is still, you know, spectacular and magical. So the the particles interact with the atmosphere, with the ions, and the charged elements if you like, mm. and this causes them to emit light. 
Yeah, so they'll have makes them um, glow. They'll so. have electrons that get given extra energy, and then when the electrons around the atom drop, that energy that energy comes out as light. Yeah, and the amount of energy that it drops um, corresponds to the color, vaguely. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so for oxygen, that gives you the greens and the reds, and for the nitrogen, you get the blues and the purples. Nice. So that's you know, mostly the colours that you're going to see. If you think if we had a different atmosphere, mm-hmm. then we'd have different colours. Yes. That's kind of neat. Yeah, and maybe we can put in some requests mm. for different coloured aurora, and you can tell me what kind of atmosphere okay. <laughs> my planet would need yeah. to have. Yeah, or maybe about. I can, you know, tell you the composition of things like Jupiter and Saturn and uh, you can revisit that. You can tell me what their aurora oh. would look like. It sounds like homework. So, what have we got? We've got water, we've got atmosphere, we've got um, magnetic fields. Yeah. I guess we've got a mix of land and water as well, which you talked about previously being important. Yeah, I mean, um, depending on the kind of life that you would want, I mean, for Earth, mm. that we have done spectacularly well. Mm-hmm. It's a rocky planet, it's got liquid water, it's got oceans. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, got an atmosphere that is great in so many ways, mm. and that's allowed for life to develop you know, in a huge variety on Earth. Mm. We've all the way from, you know, microbes, but then once you get to more macroscopic life, we've got things that swim in the sea, we've got things that live on land, we've got things that can fly. There's a huge amount of variety yeah. because of that, the, the number of environments that Earth has. Yeah, and that's all life. the sort of macroscopic stuff and then on the microscopic level there's even more variety that we yeah. can't really comprehend. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there are lots of moons or planets where you maybe don't have the same variety mm. um, for kind of macroscopic life because it's, you know, an ocean world or something like that. Yeah. I remember reading, I think it's called Life Ascending, which is talking about different aspects of evolution and talked about different series of, and histories of the series of evolution, which is in and of itself related to xenobiology, right? Because that's all, like you are saying, based on evolution on Earth, basically, and the origin of life on Earth, which we're not entirely sure about. No. We... Far the current, from. The current theory, hydrothermal vents at the bottom of the sea in different places. Yeah. And it's sort of like hot water comes out of these due to the action of, um, what's the word, geothermal processes. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that I found neat there was that they were saying that these vents have like little pockets that are about the size of a cell. So they were thinking that maybe sort of a bunch of chemicals happened to sort of coagulate in these sort of cells and maybe the first life form didn't really have a cell and then at some point these this concoction of chemicals then... Got some sort of skin, if got you Got a like. kind of skin yeah. and then etc, etc. 
But it's just like it's so far back that it's kind of crazy. But we kind of think you need RNA or DNA, right? And then people talk about whether we do really need that or whether it could assemble in something different. Yeah. Yeah, it's reminding me of my current audiobook. All right. It's called Alien Worlds. Um, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, But he, I believe, now works at the Jet Propulsion Lab. Nice. Um, NASA. Yeah, it's quite interesting, talking about that kind of thing. Mm. I think that he maybe was in a Netflix documentary or I remember there was a before Netflix. the book. It's a relatively new book. Um, yeah. So I don't know, maybe maybe some of our listeners have listened or watched it. Given our last I haven't episode, seen, seen it. But. Our last episode where we talked about um, sort of when you can sort of show things, sort of, what's the word? Artistic representations of yes. things and public outreach. We did see an episode of something which I think was called <laughs> Alien Worlds on Netflix, which was really weird because it was, I'm sure it was like, this is a planet here which does exist. Yes. And yes, it was. These are the properties that we know of. So maybe it has like this sort of terrain if there was life here. And yeah. then they just like made up random things. And then they made like, up random animals. Yeah. And they were yeah. like, these are life cycles that could exist. And it was interesting because they were showing like through the form of we've made up these different animals and they have the, this particular food chain and things. They then explained um, or compared it to stuff that exists on Earth, which I guess is kind of what we're doing here, right? We've start, we've got an episode mm-hmm. about Earth and then ended up looking at outside of Earth. Um, well, it is an astronomy yeah. slash astrophysics podcast. We've got yeah. to make sure there's some space link. Even though geoscience definitely counts as space to me, but. yeah. But I thought it was it was very interesting as a as an idea, and I did really like. I felt like it taught me a lot about sort of ecosystems yeah. and life processes on Earth. We only watched one episode, um, but it was did also we? like well, I I'm pretty sure we only one. maybe we watched two. Um, we need to revisit that. But, yeah, and it also included a lot of this kind of conjecture of, mm-hmm. like, well, what if there was something that could make hydrogen? We know some things that can make hydrogen, so what if it used hydrogen in this way or something? Yeah. So, yeah. I felt like the idea was really good, but I did feel like the execution was a bit poor. It was a bit weird, because it was kind of mixing fact and fiction. Yes, that was, I think that was my issue with it, was that it felt like it was not being, not keeping in the forefront that it was mixing fact and fiction. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Uh, but yes, yeah, that was a weird problem. Going back to water, mm-hmm. where did it come from? Why have we got so much? Yes. Because I saw a thing recently, again, thanks to the kid. Yeah. Was it also was, kids learning too? Uh, I don't know. I think we're addicted to that YouTube channel yeah. right now. Mm, anyway. Um, and that's just me. <laughs> it was... Was it Pluto? 
or Europa, possibly both, or Ganymede. Some things out there in the darkest reaches of space, mm-hmm. uh, there are things that have more water than all of Earth's oceans combined. Yes. Yeah, so Pluto has more. Right, okay. Um, I don't off the top of my head know about which moons do, but yeah. they got a lot of water there, anyway. There are. They, they exist. <laughs> I think, again, um, part of it is that the Earth is mostly like rock. Yeah. And it's just water on it's the surface. It's surface water, yeah. Whereas these have like depths of water. I mean, for Pluto, it's frozen solid, right? right so yeah. it's, it's not like liquid water, but even then... Not, it's not very close to the Goldilocks zone. No. Even then, to at like 40 AU, <laughs> it's pretty far away. Um, but even then, to me, I find that wild. Yeah. Because um, we associate water with Earth, but actually it's really not... Yeah. Um, it's really not like that. It is a great question. Why? Why do we have so much surface water? Why do we seem to have so much when our planet is very rocky mm. as well? You know, it's like we have quite a lot of water, but then our planet is all rock the rest yeah. of the way down, yeah. <laughs> you know. It is true. Other planets in our solar system are not wa- watery worlds like, like the Earth is. I use the word watery worlds slightly hesitantly, yeah. but it, it is watery, if you know what I mean. Wet. We don't... It's wet. It's soggy, especially when you live in Scotland. Yeah. Um, we don't fully know the answer, as with many mm. things in science and astronomy. We just speculate with evidence. Yes. Yeah. I personally suspect that the answer involves a few different mechanisms. Right, and some of those will be more important than others, presumably. Yes. <laughs> um... But possibilities could include that some of the water formed from the hydrogen that Earth had when it formed. Mm. Some could have been delivered to Earth by impacts of icy, you know, planetesimals and comet-type things Mm. that are similar in composition to the asteroids that are in the asteroid belt. Yeah. Because they're left over from planet formation time periods. Some could have then been delivered later, during the late heavy bombardment of planet Earth, when loads and loads and loads of asteroids collided with Earth, um, which is, you know, kind of a step in the formation of the solar system. And they could have brought a lot of water with them when they did that. Another idea is that it might have, or at least some of it might have, been brought to Earth during the collision that formed our moon. Mm. So... Earth had a big collision in its past that we think could have been how the moon formed and perhaps some of the material that ended up not falling into the moon but instead ended up as part of Earth Mm. could have 
had the had some or all of the water that we now have. Um, but saying that the measurements of the chemical composition of the moon of the mm. lunar samples that were collected from the Apollo fifteen and seventeen missions. Mm suggests that water was already present on Earth before the moon was formed. Okay. So that, you know, kind of contradicts that idea. But yeah, some scientists have suggested that Thea, which is the name for the planet that is thought to have collided with Earth and been responsible for the formation of the moon, could have come from further out in the solar system. Okay, so there may be more icy like Pluto, yeah. but not Pluto. Yeah, exactly, where it's more able to have formed into a planet that had ice, okay. unlike Earth, which is much closer to the sun mm. and therefore less able to form into a planet that, yeah. that contains water. And comets are icy as well, right? And they're on the, they come from outside. So outside sounds bad, that sounds like outside of the solar system, but on the edge of the solar system, right? Yeah, the um, the Kuiper Belt objects as well, you know, Pluto and, yeah. and its friends. The um, lots lots of water because mm. it's yeah, it's able to, to form into ice there without getting just frazzled away being closer to the sun. Anything else that you want to Well, I think Earth talk about? Earth is a weird one. Earth is something that we know a lot about and there's also stuff that we really don't know about, mm. you know. Um, like, what is it, like we know more about the surface of the moon than we do about the depth of our oceans, which, I mean, we can see the surface of the moon relatively easily, so I'm yeah. not that surprised. so that's not that surprising. Um, <laughs> but, you and we've know. seen the back of it now, so... Yeah, so, <laughs> so much stuff is available for us to study. It's so diverse in terms of... It's geology, it's geography, it's ecology, mm -hmm. everything. And then you've got people which have their own sort of weird things going on. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a bit weird as a topic to discuss. Um, yeah, um, there's so much that you could say. Yeah. What's your favourite part of Earth? Is there, is there like a particular location that you really like? Or... Wow, you're putting me on the spot there. Yeah. Um, Was there anywhere you particularly like to go? Maybe from a more geography point of view than from a sort of cultural point of view. Right, so, uh, okay. Um, well, I've always wanted to go to Yellowstone. Okay, National yeah. Park, yeah. Um, from a, a geographical point of view. Mm. Um, maybe one day mm. I might might do that. Maybe. Um, yeah, I don't know really. I mean, I think there's so much. There are so many different environments that I would like to see, mm. both yeah. from a kind of geological point of view and yeah. also from the natural like fauna and flora yeah if you know yeah. what i mean um i not i mean i'm not really that interested in going to the depths of the ocean no personally no. 
like I'm also not particularly interested I'm, in going I'm to the height of a mountain. Fascinated by it. Yeah. Um, and I would definitely love to watch, just sit and watch loads of, I don't know, planet Earth style. Yeah. <laughs> documentaries about the, the depths of the ocean and everything, but I don't really want to go myself. You know what I mean? Mm. I, like, mm. not not actually interested in, yeah. in going into the depths of the ocean so not that but but land wise I don't know there there's just so many so many different environments and they it's it's interesting when you go to a different country or just even within the same country you can end up in very different you know natural environments yeah um just how alien it can feel Mm. you know it can feel really quite alien just the the geology is different and the trees are different and i don't know i think sometimes we take it for granted kind of but actually if you stop to actually just look around you it can feel really quite unnerving and alien because it's different very different there is a lot of um there's a lot of variety yeah on planet earth which is beautiful yeah i think there's also a lot of variety that exists locally you know so like the difference between like a coastal a sort of marshy and meadowy foresty Mm -hmm. and different types of forests and they all have their different characters and things and then mountains etc and if you went to any particular location on earth there are going to be obviously there are some bits where it's like quite a lot very similar but um you know there's going to be like as well as the difference between what you're used to and that alien location there's also going to be differences between local yes. bits in that spot. Yeah. Um, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a soccer for a mountain. So anywhere that's got mountains, I'm more kind of drawn to. Not really that drawn to kind of a desert-style environment. Yeah. Um, I'm not that drawn. I like quite like mountains, but I'd also... Not really like to walk up a mountain. Um, yeah, fair. So, you know. Yeah. Where would be your place you'd like to? I I would say fjords. The, nice. You get, the, you get to see mountains. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to climb up them if you don't want to. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I think they're nice. You might also be able to see an aurora there. Um, I think... Um, New Zealand is yeah. quite famous for having mm-hmm. lots of amazing things. I think there's lots of places that just have... I mean, like, relatively recently I went to Spain, which, for the first time, and, you know, just the difference between the Sp- Spain and the UK in terms of everything, really, just, like, geographic-wise, like... You know, the sunsets look different, for instance, but, like, the sight, the sound, the smell, everything it was very different. Um, yeah, it's funny how different places smell different. Yeah. Um, and so I think 
anywhere really. Anywhere that's a bit different. But even if it's not that different, it still is. Generally. Yeah. So also maybe I don't know. I think also some of like New England with its sort of autumny foresty areas. Sort of like a Stephen King novel. But I don't want to be in a Stephen King no- novel. Um I don't want to get attacked by an axe or anything. Fair. Or a creepy clown. Mm. Blue Mountains in China. Yeah. 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 That would be epic I love to see. Absolutely epic. That, that's something else. Is like, you think you know what a mountain looks like in Europe, right? And then you see mountains in um, Chinese art. Mm-hmm. And... It's just, like, so different. And I guess it's what they're made of, maybe their age. But, you know, sort of more rounded mountains versus pointy mountains. Yeah. Which obviously, like, you know, Mount Everest is pretty pointy. Um, And also in China and Nepal. So. Mountains of the solar system. That could be a good episode in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But, um... There's a lot out there. Yeah. I think the Earth um, is a similar... is a similar thing to exoplanets that the Sun is to stellar physics. Mm. That, like you say, there's so much data we just almost do not know what to do yeah. with it. We, yeah. Like, it's... Uh, you find yourself in the problem that every... PhD student experiences Mm. and I think anyone who is in depth learning about anything that they're fascinated Mm -hmm. in whether that's for a job or a hobby or whatever experiences which is the more you learn about something the more you realize you do not know or understand anything you know you start off thinking oh yeah like I, I know quite a lot about this topic and then your confidence decreases very sharply as you realise just... No, I don't. <laughs> your mind is opened to how much knowledge there is, how much knowledge there currently isn't because there are so many unanswered questions and everything and you realise you just you don't know anything. Mm. You know? Um, even though you know a lot <laughs> about yeah. something... You just you just don't know anything, and Earth feels like that yeah. to planet planetary science that we have so much data we don't know what to do with it. It just makes more questions about mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you ask one question, you get the answer, but then you get ten more questions up. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and I think so. also anybody doing sort of sort of. Astrobiology, xenobiology would probably be quite happy if they had five planets with one species on it. It would be easier than one planet with, what, nine million, maybe, you know. It'd just yes. be like five different ways that life evolved. Even then, <laughs> there'd probably be things that would disagree, but probably have more of an idea of how life came about than on this one planet. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't envy the people working to answer that question. Yeah. But, but I, I look forward a, to the answer when we eventually get one. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot to then speculate about and hypothesise about. and 
yeah. disprove. Well, with that, I think we should let our listeners go and appreciate the beautiful planet that they live on. Yeah. And, and maybe they can let us know if there's anywhere in particular they would like to visit. Or, or if there's a bit of know. Earth that you particularly like that's not necessarily like a place, it could be a thing, you know, like daffodils. I don't know. All right, Wordsworth. With that, have a good day. And we'll see you next week. Bye. So that just about wraps things up for this episode. Please, can we encourage you to subscribe to Through the Telescope wherever you find your podcasts. And if you like, you can leave us a nice positive review as well. It really helps the show and it makes it easier for more people to find us. Feel free to send us any comments, questions or suggestions of things or people you'd like to hear about or from in future episodes. Or perhaps to put yourself forward to chat about your own astro research or experiences. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Through the Telescope Podcast, or you can find me at astrophysicist underscore rose. You can also find us on Twitter at The Telescope Pod, and you can contact us by email at Through the Telescope Podcast at gmail.com. And with that, we'd like to thank you very much for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again next time. Bye. Bye.